In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum. This is The Conviction Project, a podcast where we leave you with no doubts about Islam. My name is Marij Rana. And I am Farhan Iqbal. Muhammadur Rasulullah, 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah. Ya Rabbi, salli ala nabiyika daiman li hadhi dunya wa basin So, you know, um, I, I, I'd like to welcome my great friend Farhan. He's here with me. Uh, we seldom get to do in-person podcasts. And, you know, now that we are able to do an in-person podcast, I thought it would be best, you know, if we take some time uh, to, you know, make a lengthier podcast. I know we haven't been able to come out with a podcast in some time, So, you know, because we are in person and we haven't given a podcast in a long time, I thought, let's make a lengthier podcast. So I think, you know, one of the reasons why you're here, uh, I think perhaps it's probably the only reason, you know, life of a missionary in that way, is that um, you recently did a debate um, with Dr. Tony Costa. And the debate, the topic of the debate was, is the Quranic God the same as the biblical God? And it's a very fascinating topic. And I wasn't able to attend the debate. But, you know, I think, you know, we talked about it later on. And I think, you know, for those who haven't been able to attend, perhaps you can shed some light, get, you know, like a summary, a highlight reel of the debate, so to speak. I think I would have to... Uh first invent a word to 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 describe what what it was i don't think it was a debate i think it was more like a semi debate because uh, from the ahmadiyya muslim community's point of view you know and from any if you're a psychologist you, from your point of view as well that you know when we have debates people become more entrenched in their own belief systems and that's not the purpose or the intent of uh, of, of programs like this. So, you know, um, what about um, what about that debate are you kind of, or semi-debate, are you taking away? What are you taking away from that? Um, you know, the, uh, so when we, when we hold these kind of uh, programs, our, our intent is so that the two sides are able to get their points across, right? And and the, the, if, if we call them a debate, then it becomes like, oh, just about winning or losing. And it has never been the intention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. In, in fact, at one point, uh, one of the caliphs of our community uh, forbade the idea of holding debates, right? Because it's just about, oh, I beat you. I know a few things more than you. And sometimes, you know, what happens is that in a debate, it's just one point that one uh, person uh, uh, made and the other person probably did not know too much about it or, or at that point he did not address it. And people are like, oh, this is about winning or losing. It's not about winning or losing. It's about it's about our salvation. It's mm-hmm. about it's about something much bigger than that, mm-hmm. and so we 
we need to we need to be sure that mm. so in, in fact we never even called it a debate it was a dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, dialogue throughout is a good word. yeah it was throughout throughout the program as well we called it a dialogue sure there were rebuttals but you would notice that those who those who went there they would notice that the rebuttals were so short um, you know uh, when my turn for rebuttal came i know that i on my uh, you know notes i had like 15 points to address and i barely got through four or five of them in the seven minutes that I had for rebuttal. So it's just, that's not the whole point. And then mm-hmm. we give a lot of time for question and answers mm-hmm. so that people can uh, tend ask nuanced mm-hmm. questions about different uh, topics that came up. One uh, thing that, uh, that I, I feel about the debate is that uh, from the Christian side, I was hoping to get more information about the God of the Bible. And this is something that was completely absent I think there was hardly much uh, discussion about the Christian idea or understanding of God. I mean, obviously, uh, the Christian uh, Christians would say that our God is not the same as the God of the Quran because our God is a triune God, and um, there are three persons and, and one being and all that. But that kind of stuff really, really was on the fringes of the discussion in this debate uh, or in this dialogue. And uh, most of uh, the discussion from the Christian side from Mr. Tony Costa was, uh, well, the Quran said this about God, and the Quran said this about God, and the Quran said this about God. Why did the Quran say this? Why did the Quran say that? And it wasn't about, I mean... Why do you disagree with us? Well, it's because uh, the biblical God is a, is, is a triune God. Well, okay, so show me from the Bible how the biblical God is a triune God. And the, reason, the, 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 the reality is uh, that uh, there is no such proof. In fact, I had uh, a similar dialogue with Mr. Costa about a year and a half ago. So from the last two programs where I have represented Islam, there are two things I have taken out of those. And that is, number one is that uh, there is no proof from the Bible itself for a triune God. Uh, There's not a single verse that explicitly, unambiguously, not in a convoluted way, tells us that there are three persons in one Godhead and there's a triune God. Mm-hmm. None. Zero. I mean, in two programs where we have spoken at length on the on these related subjects and nothing of that sort came out. And the second thing I have come to really appreciate over time is that the Bible affirms the concept of God as presented in the Holy Quran. The Bible is fully in agreement with the Quran that God is one in the absolute sense. And the interesting thing is that the promised Messiah, the founder of our community, Azad Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, he actually used to write to rabbis uh, asking them about about God and about the Quran. And, and the rabbis would respond that our God is the same as the Quranic God. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if I went to some of the friends, rabbi friends that I have today, they would say the same thing, that your God, concept of God, is exactly what the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible is saying. Mm-hmm. So the problem, where does it where does it occur? It occurs with the interpretations of later Christians mm-hmm. uh, regarding God. Yeah, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, isn't this a problem that's similar to Islam? You know, we you mentioned that you know there is no place where it explicitly says that it's a triune God. 
but we seldom offer this same sentiment when it comes to Islam. You know, we, 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 we people like who attack Islam, they also look for explicit indications for certain things or, you know, sometimes explicit things are mentioned and we try to kind of justify it in that sense. So why is it important from your perspective that it needs to be explicitly stated that God is a triune God? Because and the reason why I ask this question is because there are many things in Islam which aren't explicitly stated, but we still kind of we sure. relate it back sure. to I Islamic mean, Quranic verses. Sure. I mean, you look at Tawheed, the word Tawheed, which we take to mean the oneness of God is not explicitly mentioned in, in the Quran. But, you know, the argument is not that. The argument is, is, is more refined than that. The argument is that the Quran, for instance, says, Qul Allahu ahad, say he is Allah, the one, right? Then the Bible says the same thing. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, right? That's uh, very clear. When Jesus is asked about God, he reiterates this same statement. He says, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This is in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, this oneness is very explicitly stated. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no two ifs and buts about it. But when it comes to the Trinity or mm -hmm. triune God, that kind of stuff is not explicitly. I mean, they have something in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 that says something that go unto the nations and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus Christ. But again, it's not a very explicit, clear mm -hmm. concept, you know? So what I gather from that is that it's not an issue of it's explicitly stated or not. The claim is, is that a triune God is contradictory to the Bible itself. Yeah, it's contradictory to the Bible and... and it's also not explicitly explained, right? Not explicitly stated. You know, if, if the Trinity or the concept of a triune God, and I have to so angrily, you know, hold on to the triune God and not accept the Quran, if I have to do that, then, uh, you know, show me an explanation of the Trinity or the nature of God. And show me any verse of Jesus where he talks about God and tells me that, uh, hey, the, you know, God is actually a Trinity or God is actually three persons and in one Godhead. And all these, you know, all these terminology actually is takes away mm -hmm. from uh, from the actual uh words of Jesus or the words of the prophets of God yeah. in the Bible. Um, before the, what, you, yeah. yeah. What's the benefit that you think Christians get from having a triune God? What, why the emphasis? Why not just say, well, yeah, okay, God is one. What benefit it, again, does a triune I, God I, get? I can't speak on their behalf, um, but my understanding is that they see Jesus as God and they see their salvation as linked to the sacrifice of Jesus as a son of God and taking their sins uh, and, and, and suffering for them. So it's very important for them to see Jesus as God. Mm -hmm. And then that right. connects with the Trinity. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's how I understand it. Mm -hmm. I just want to address one more point before we move on. Mm -hmm. 
So in my opinion, Mr. Costa had no recourse other than to criticize the Quran. And then he brought out this quotation of uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, which had nothing to do with this topic. Uh, surprisingly, I'm, I'm glad he's quoting the promised Messiah. Right. Okay, okay. So he he brought out this quotation and he says that look at this quotation. You you guys say that the, you have your motto, which is love for all, hatred for none. But here's the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, speaking very critically of Christians and calling them the manifestation of Satan and so on and so forth. Um, this is not the time for me to repeat what, what he said, but it was a strong language for, for Christians that the promised Messiah used. Now, I, I had the opportunity to respond to that a, a few times, but I, I just want to mention this again, that, you know, when the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, talks about Christians, he's not talking about those Christians who are decent, who are civilized, who are open to, to di dialogue and discussions. He's talking about those Christians who are very, very critical of uh, the uh, the Muslims and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and play around with the sensitivities. And he says that, uh, he wrote this book called uh, Ayyamusul, uh, it's in Ruhani Khazain, volume 14, page number 228. And if you allow me to quickly read a little bit in Urdu, and then I will read that in English as well. Uh, it will take me only about a minute uh, to read it. So, Hazur Fermate hain ke agarche ye kitab baaz mutafarak mukamat me isayoke hamloka job deti or unko mukhatib karti hai. Lekin yadrahe ke babajudis baat ke isayoki kitab umahatul mu'minine dilome sakhtish se al padakia hai. Magar pirvi hamne is kitab me jahakahi isayoka zikar aya hai. बहुत नरमी और तहजीब और लुत्फे बयान से जिक्र किया है और गो ऐसी सूरत में कि दिल दुखाने वाली गालियां हमारे पैगंबर सल्लल्लाहु अलैहि वसल्लम को दी गईं हमारा हक था कि हम मुदाफियत के तौर पर सख्ती का सख्ती से जवाब देते लेकिन हमने महज इस हया के तकाजे से जो मोमिन की सिफ्त लाज़मी है हर एक तक जुबानी से एराज किया और वही उमूर लिखे हैं जो मौका और महल पर चिस्मा थे फिर आगे फरमाते हैं ऐसे लोगों को बिला शुबा हम इज्जत की निगाह से देखते हैं और वो हमारी किसी तहरीर के मुखातिब नहीं है लेकिन बल्कि सिर्फ वही लोग हमारे मुखातिब हैं ख्वाब व बगुफतन मुसलमान कहलाते या ऐसाई हैं जो हदे एतदाल से बढ़ गए हैं और हमारी जातियात पर गाली और बदगोई से हमला करते या हमारे नबी करीम सल्लल्लाहु अलैहि वसल्लम की शान बुजुर्ग में तौहीन और हद तक आमेज बातें मुंह पर लाते और अपनी किताबों में शाय करते हैं सो हमारी इस किताब और दूसरी किताबों में कोई लफ्ज़ या कोई इशारा ऐसे मज्ज़ लोगों की तरफ नहीं है जो बदज़ुबानी और कमीनगी के तरीक़ को इख्तियार नहीं करते सो ही सेज uh, he say, he's saying here, and this is my own translation, that even though this book, which he was writing at that time, responds to some of the criticisms of the Christians and is addressed to them, it should be remembered that despite the fact that the book Ummahatul Mu'minin, this was a book that was written in the time of the Prophet Muhammad, very critical of the Holy Prophet wasallam, peace be upon him. He says, this book written by the Christians has caused great grievance in the hearts of Muslims. But despite that, I have always addressed the Christians in this book using very soft, decent, and polite language. In light of the offensive, foul language used against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it was my right to respond to harshness with harshness as a form of defense. 
but I refrained from every kind of strong language, which is an essential quality of a believer, keeping in mind the spirit of shame. I've only written those things which are appropriate for the time and place. Despite all this, those decent pastors and other Christians are not addressed in this book of mine, nor in, in the other book, who refrain from foul and abusive language out of a sense of decency. And they do not offend us with language that hurts our hearts, and they do not insult our holy prophet, peace be upon him, and their books are not filled with strong language and insults. We treat such people with respect, and they are not addressed in such writings. Mm -hmm. Instead, only those people are addressed who call themselves Muslims or Christian and have transgressed all limits and they use foul and abusive language, language against us or they use insulting or abusive words in relation to the great status of our holy prophet peace be upon him and publish them in their books right yeah as you're saying this it actually just reminds me of um a lot of um free speech criticism that comes up uh so a lot of people you know there's this new group it's called the intellectual dark web you know, it's Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, and that whole crew. I think Joe Rogan's part of it, too. I don't know what he's doing there. But, you know, he um, what they say is that, you know, you can criticize Islam, the teachings. But at the same time, that if you're criticizing Islam, the teachings, that doesn't mean that you're holding bigoted views against Muslims. And I think here it's a, you know, you're criticizing Muslims, you're criticizing Islam, you know, you're criticizing Christianity, sorry, and you're criticizing kind of extremist forms of Christianity, which is okay, but you're not being bigoted towards Christians. And this is kind of the same philosophy. And I think this is a really good um, kind of statement by the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, that, you know, this is the standard of free speech. Uh, that's what I take away from this. But I, I, that was a digression from our original topic about, you know, the debate in Christianity. So, you know, just um, I think we can continue on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's um, we have a right to to respond if someone is very critical. And one point I just want to mention quickly is also that, you know, near the end of his life, the promised Messiah actually proposed to the British government, because he was living under the British government at that time, uh, that, you know what, uh, let us, why not come up with some laws, right? And this is a legal matter, so he left it for the government to decide that they will, that we will refrain from such harsh criticisms of each other's faiths and stick to only the academic stuff so that there is a spirit of harmony. So he was trying to, you know, maybe find some middle ground where we could have peaceful, interaction and dialogue and not this hostility and aggressiveness mm -hmm. which leads to again the, just the entrenching of our beliefs right. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah so what are some uh, i i know you know earlier prior to uh, recording this podcast we had also said you know there, there are certain things um which we thought you know we should expand on a little bit more um, you know, there was one one topic or one aspect of the conversation with um, Dr. Costa that um, was about, uh, 
you know, slavery and, 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 you know, God being a master and, you know, Muslims being uh, servants and, you know, this dual, this relationship between a master and a slave not being one that is something to aspire towards, not as something that is a model relationship between two people. And, you know, that really got me thinking because, well, even though we translate Islam as peace, I think that's inner peace, but, you know, Islam means submission. And a Muslim is one who has submitted, submitted to the will of God, submitted to that. So automatically there is this sense of, you know, um, giving yourself up. You know, even um, even the idea of nafse mutma'ina is, you know, the self that is at peace because you've completely let go. And, you know, this is this is seen throughout our our culture. You know, uh, you know, Baba Bulisha talks about, you know, when I've lost myself, that's when I became gods. And, you know, you know, so this whole idea of giving yourself up, giving yourself up, you know, there's no sense of self that remains which is very similar to a slave and a master. So so speak more about that. Uh, It was actually part of the same theme that Mr. Costa was trying to uh, to, uh, work with, that the Islamic concept of God is a very uh, angry God who is just there to mm, turn us all into slaves. And it's like just he's like a king and we are just subject to him. You know, and it's the same color of harshness that he was trying to uh, trying to um, paint, and I think it's very it's very harmful for 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 dialogue to to take a, such a broad brush and paint everything in such a way. You know, there's so many references in 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 the Gospels uh, where Jesus Christ appears to be speaking in very harsh tones. You look at Mar, uh, sorry Matthew chapter seven verse four where he calls uh, the person a hypocrite. You look at Matthew uh, chapter twenty three verse fifteen. The scribes Pharisees are hypocrites. You look at Matthew chapter twenty three verses sixteen seventeen. Blind men, blind guy fools, these kind of words. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, again, hypocrites. And then there are so many references where he calls them hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, he calls them serpents, brood of vipers. All these, you know, Luke chapter 11, verse 39, foolish ones. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 43, you're like concealed tombs. And you're the father of the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44. You dishonor me in John chapter 8, verse 49. All this very strong language has been used. And to just, you know, make one-sided criticisms, uh, would, would it's very harmful, I think, it's for, for dialogue, that these kind of things, can. this is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure... Christians look at these texts and they have their own interpretations and they say, no, God is a loving God. He's not like this, even though Jesus used this kind of language, Mm -hmm. who is God according to them. So we have to have a standard and we have to, uh, you know, go in, uh, go in, uh, in a way that we can move forward Mm -hmm. and not, not push each other away. Mm -hmm. So coming back to your original question, which is about having a master and slave relationship, I think, uh, you know, first of all, uh, th- this this uh, concept of a master, uh, 
uh, is not implied in the language of the Quran. There's actually what this is another thing that happened in in the debate is that or in the dialogue that there was uh, there was a lot of uh, things that were brought up based on the language. So he brought up the word rub, and he said, "Oh, God is your rub, so you are like a slave to your rub." Uh, you know, even though would the, Malik be better. Malik right. would have been better, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, Malik is an attribute of God, which we normally say master, mm-hmm. but is actually about the hereafter. Okay, okay. That's an attribute of God that we're talking about in this life. Right. How are we supposed to become slaves of God mm-hmm. or not? And yes, rub applies in this life, and the word rub is is a very is a is the best word out there for God. He is uh, rub in the sense that he is the caretaker, he's the provider. He not only creates but sustains and then takes his creation from the lower stages to higher stages. So rub is a very all-encompassing term uh, that that uh, God has used in the Quran, mm-hmm. and it's such a beautiful term. So it's not. Uh, and Mr. Costa was also trying to say that oh, the, you cannot God cannot be your father. Well, he's a lot more than a father to us. Rub means he provides just like a mother provides her child, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The, the, the concept of rububiyat, as mm-hmm. we call it, is the, is the caretaking attitude. It's like that of a mother mm-hmm. w- with, with, her, with, her, with her child. So mm-hmm. God is even more than that, yeah. uh, more than a father, more than a mother, more mm-hmm. than a brother, more than a sister. So it's a very different and unique relationship. Yeah, and you know, as you're as you're saying, you know, I, I, it came to my mind that, you know, when you say master and slave, you think of two human beings, right? Two human beings who are equal, in so many different ways. You know, they're the same bone structure, same you know capacity, everything. You know, take two humans, and, and they're basically identical uh, aside from their DNA makeup. That's the only difference between two humans. So you know, if there's a master-slave relationship between two humans, that I think makes no sense. Uh, but you know, when there's two different creatures, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Canadians have dogs. So now, you know, in a, in a human and dog relationship, it's very much master and slave. The, the owner is the master and the dog is the slave uh, because, you know, it's different creatures. And the same way that, you know, when there's a higher being, it automatically is a master because it, it is higher than you. But so, so what are your thoughts yeah, on I mean, that? Even, kind of... even, even look at like my, my, my brother just had a child and you look at the child, you could look at the two week old or three weeks. You know, what is that baby uh, controlling? Nothing. I mean, it's like a slave mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for all its needs, uh, whether it's food or sleeping or comfort or pain or whatever it is. The, the baby needs the masters, quote unquote, which are which are the parents in this right. case, yeah. and you know, nobody looks at this and says, "Oh, look at this terrible! Mm-hmm. This is like some slavery going on. This mm-hmm. baby doesn't have its rights and all those things." Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, I think our government is doing a lot to give those babies rights. Yeah, but I think you know the piece where I want to kind of go in on is that from an outside perspective. You know, you say we can talk all about, well, Christianity has a lot of violent verses. Islam, Quran has a lot of violent verses. From an outside perspective, it makes me say, well, okay, Cholo, like, you know, I'll just not follow either of them because they're both violent. So how in proving that Christianity also has 
violent verses or Jesus salam, uh, is also used harsh language. How does that make the position of Islam stronger than that of Christianity? Because, you know, it, 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 it would be one thing to say, well, you know, our book or our teachings don't even talk about violence which is kind of what Tony Costa was probably alluding to, that, yeah. oh, our books don't even talk about this, but the Quran is violent. But, you know, when you bring to light that, okay, both verses, both uh, scriptures are violent in their nature, and Islam is still superior to that, that part doesn't quite make sense to me. So I wonder, how is Islam superior despite both teachings being violent, both teachings being aggressive, both prophets, so to, being, so to speak, um, have used harsh language. Why is it still that Islam comes up on top? Again, uh, from the Islamic perspective, when you look at these things, it, it's, there's no issue because the thing is that when, uh, when God uses strong language or when Jesus uses strong language or other prophets you know, the Bible is full of, full of language, which is very, very strong. Or when the Quran uses such language, or when the Prophet Muhammad uses such language, peace be upon him, or when the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uses such language. For, for us, there's no problem, because this, these, this language is just a statement of fact. Again, we, when we read these texts, we read it from a very human perspective. And we think of, uh, you know, the guy using the F word or the other kinds of words which are inappropriate and they're using it against each other and they are just trying to put each other down and uh, they are trying to basically insult the other person. The Quran or the prophets, they're not doing that. They're not insulting or using foul language or abusive language just to just to offend the other person. The Quran and other prophets are using language which is strong as a statement of fact that this is your situation, you need to change yourself. And just sometimes, you know, you use this language just to wake them up and try to... Uh, to motivate them. Try to motivate them. Uh, and it's coming from God who is our creator. You know how sometimes... Um, coming from a from a South Asian background, like even our uh, parents use sometimes language which is a little bit strong, but is there to 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 motivate us and to encourage us and to wake up uh, out of our laziness or whatnot mm -hmm. uh, to, to fix ourselves because mm -hmm. they're really really concerned. Our parents are not using that language to insult us. Mm -hmm. There might be a small, small minority of cases where this happens. Mm -hmm. But in the majority of cases, mm -hmm. all they're trying to they're it's out of their love. Right. So it goes back to that idea of, you know, if any, maybe, maybe this example doesn't really fly with uh, the, the Pakistani audience, but, you know, to, to, the, to the Canadian audience, so to speak, you know, it, it, like, like a man and his dog, uh, very sacred relationship in C Canadian culture. But, you know, even then, there are times where the owner of the dog has to be harsh with their dog. You know, if they're going to go bite someone or if they're going to go do something, go in a direction, you know, the owner will pull on its chain a bit harder and he will even yell at the dog you know uh, i've had the opportunity to interact with many dog owners when i lived out in guelph and you would see that and i think that is a 
is, is a more accurate de- de- description because it's two different creatures. And I think you're right that when we read these scriptures, we think we make God human. And we do this. And this is where I think Christians and people who criticize religion run into this issue because they perceive God to be this Christian God, which is a human. So when if God is human, then the standards that you have is also the same as your fellow humans. But when God is not a human, he is this being, he is this eternal thing, which we can't even put our minds to, then the standards are different. So why is it we can't give God the same standards that we would for other humans? And it happened over and over in our in our dialogue with uh, Mr. Costa quoting from uh, um, other uh, verses of Quran where it says God deceives or God makes fun or these kind of and it was all language issues or at one point he, he and this is a point that came up over, over and over where he said that God prays he, he said that Muslims like to criticize uh, Christians by pointing out that Jesus Christ prays uh, and who is he praying to but you have this verse in the Quran which is saying that God prays uh, you know again it's a language uh, you know the, the the language that the Quran is using is is first of all it's Arabic and in Arabic every term every word has multiple meanings and the dictionary writers have gone into great length and the word that he was contending was salah in Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabiyyi which means that surely Allah and his angels pray slash send blessings on the prophet which is prophet muhammad peace be upon him normally we translate it as send blessings why because the arabic language allows us allows us to do that the word that is used there is salah so and and from that same word we have the word salat which is our muslim worship or prayer fajr zuhr and so on so i mean he was saying no this word means dua which means this means this word means prayer and uh, how can god be praying um and i i don't think he he quoted this but there is even a hadith that that uses that the hadith says that god and his angels and ants and the fish in the sea pray for the the person who is beloved of of god so what is going on here well, what is going on here is that we have the Arabic language here. We don't have the English language here, mm-hmm. where the word pray means pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the Arabic language, which say, which has the word salah, and the word salah has multiple meanings. One of those meanings is to praise, mm-hmm. to, 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 to express the greatness of something. And the dictionary writers write this. It says that when this word is used for God, it means praise. Mm-hmm. When it is used by, for angels, it means they seek forgiveness. Right. right. When it's used for uh, ants or other creatures mm-hmm. of the earth, it means they are doing the tasbih or the uh, the praise again of God. Mm-hmm. And when it is used for human beings, it can mean dua as well, which mm-hmm. is praying and and asking God for something. And one more point I just want to quickly make is that even in our prayer, in in our salat, when we start our salat, we we start praising God first. We don't just start asking him for stuff. We start by saying that I turn my attention towards him who has created the heavens and the earth. We are praising. And then we say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise belongs to Allah, Lord of the worlds. And then later on, we start asking him. So even our salat has that praise component. 
So in the Arabic language, if the word pray, or in this case, salah, is used for God, it means pray. Mm -hmm. It means praise. I think there is even the, um, there's an English, I think an old English, they used to use pray as a way to express things you exactly know? yeah right like, 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 like i think even in our 10 conditions of bath when we do the bath ceremony there's this part where it says pray forgive me which if you translate it, it it means you know say forgive me but we translate it as pray forgive me because it, it is just a more eloquent way uh because it's a different type of expression it's an expression which is so humble so unique that it's like a prayer right so, you know, I think, you know, we've been talking for some quite some length now. Um, and, you know, I think the main takeaway from this is that we need to understand God in order to understand all other things. You know, I've had the opportunity to read um, some criticisms of Islam lately. And I think the main takeaway that I take away from all these criticisms of Islam, criticisms of religion in general, is this inability to understand God. And I think once you understand God, then religions start to make more sense. And when religions start to make more sense, I think naturally you end up at a place where one religion will stand out above and beyond other religions. The one that can concisely and accurately describe who God is. You know, it's very scientific in that way for me is that, you know, which method can describe this substance the most accurately? You know, the sun, for example, use all of our senses. We feel the sun. Um, I don't know if we can hear the sun, but, you know, we can see the sun. So which which faculty are you going to use to feel the sun? You know, are you going to use your sight? Are you going to use, you know, the, the, the heat that comes off? What are you going to rely on? What's the most accurate thing that you can rely on to prove the existence of something? For me, it's been Islam. And I think for different people, you know, you can kind of, and that's where the debate comes in because you can kind of go scientifically and methodologically and see, okay, well, which scripture can accurately describe God properly? I mean, of course, we're going to say that it's the Holy Quran, and uh, uh, you know, and there are many, many reasons for that. And our podcast is a project in that direction that we can show people why the Quran has a has a form of superiority over other scriptures when it talks about. Uh, all the religious of uh, matters and faith matters, including the idea or concept of God. I mean, for one thing, the the detail with which God is described in the Quran is unlike any other. And uh, I don't want to say that this is a challenge or anything like that, but this is a research project. If you would like to compare, you can go ahead and compare the 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 details and the pronounced ways in which the attributes of God, the Quran calls them the attributes of God, the names of God, the, mm -hmm. the Asma'ul Husna, the beautiful names of God, the way they have been described, the way they have been discussed in the Quran is very, very unique. And I invite uh, those who are listening to our podcast to check it out. I mean, uh, open uh, the Quran and, and see how it is talking about God and I'm pretty sure you would be amazed. Mm -hmm. You don't have to agree with, with what the Quran right. is saying, but but you would be amazed. And one little uh, tidbit I wanted to mention, which I couldn't mention earlier, was that there was even a project 
some time back by some by a couple of people uh, this project was published uh, by the independent it was an article uh, where they used uh, text analytics software named odin text and they categorized words into eight emotions joy anticipation anger disgust sadness surprise fear and trust and the analysis found so what they did is they compared the bible and the quran the analysis found that the bible scored higher for anger and much lower for trust as compared to the holy quran and the analysis also showed that killing and destruction was more frequently found in christian texts than the holy quran and in 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 his blog post this person named anderson he writes that Killing and destruction are referenced slightly more often in the New Testament than in the Holy Quran, but the Old Testament clearly leads in mentions of destruction and killing. And he later summarizes that in fact of the three texts, the content in the Old Testament appears to be the most violent. So the author was actually surprised to find that the Holy Quran mentioned the concept of mercy far more than the Christian Christian texts. Then the reason I mention this is not because I'm trying to take score points. Uh, there are perfectly good reasons why the the Bible mentions these terms more than the Quran. Um, and I, I have an understanding of that and yet I respect the Bible. I study the Bible all the time and, and in my dialogue also I was trying to prove that the concept of God in the Bible is very similar to the concept of God in the Holy Quran. But the reason I mention this is because a lot of people think that the Quran is some violent book uh, that is always so uh, talking about an angry God and this couldn't be further from the truth. So I invite uh, our listeners to, to check it out, to study the Quran, to see what it's saying about God and maybe you'll learn something new. Yeah, and I think this is something that we can expand on next time in future episodes because I think, you know, it does deserve you know, a lot of comprehensive thoughts, you know, uh, because there are very many places where the Quran um, is violent or, you know, you know, it talks about, you know, amputating uh, the thieves hand, so to speak, is a common one. And there are so many things which leave you with a lot more questions. And I think those questions are healthy. And I think if you have more questions and you've also also have thought about, well, you know, who is God and what is God and what is something maybe there are things in islam that you've been told about god that you don't understand please do send it in uh, to our email at theconvictionproject at gmail.com and you can also visit our website at www.theconvictionproject.com uh, to listen to all of our previous episodes so once again this is the conviction project where we leave you with no doubts about islam Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammadur Rasulullah, 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah. Salli ala nabina, salli ala Muhammadin, salli ala habibina. 